You're listening to The Lively Show, episode 107. Welcome to The Lively Show. I'm your host, Jess Lively, and this blogcast is designed to uplift, inspire, and add a little extra intention to your everyday. Welcome to the show, guys. I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving and you're excited as we look towards the holidays and ultimately the new year of 2016. Today's episode is sponsored by Squarespace.com. Go over to squarespace.com lively for your free 14-day trial to test it out, and you can use the code lively at checkout to get 10% off of your service. At the end of this episode, we are going to be speaking with the one and only Jesse Arteague, who is one half of the podcasting duo Marriage is Funny, about her experience using Squarespace. And now on to today's episode. I am so excited to bring this one to you guys because I know how many times you have heard on The Lively Show or possibly read elsewhere online about people that didn't like their full-time jobs, so they started their full-time businesses, and they lived happily ever after, right? It kind of seems like that sometimes, even though that is often far from the truth. And today's episode is actually kind of counterculture in that we're going to be speaking with Melissa Grunkowski of melissagrunkowski.com about her experience with full-time entrepreneurship and why she avoided listening to her intuition for a while and kept pushing forward, forward, forward with the business when her intuition was telling her her actual values and joy would come from getting a full-time job in her career in this season. So that's exactly what she has eventually done, and she'll share the story of how this is all unfolded, the challenges that she faced as an entrepreneur, which often aren't shared so explicitly in other episodes with other guests or other people in general, don't necessarily always touch or emphasize the struggles we're gonna talk about today that we have both experienced in our businesses, And I think it's just a great check-in for anyone else who may possibly be stuffing down their intuition's guidance in their career, whether it's going to leave a full-time job or a full-time business, really to help you kind of check in with yourself and stop pushing forward and putting your head down and plowing through when there may be something new for you. Let's go to the show. Melissa, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited. Same here. So let's tell your story. Tell us about your background when you first got started in your career. I started off way back in my early 20s in the publishing industry, and I was working in marketing departments. Eventually went back to school for graphic design and became a designer, and that sort of brought me to where I am today. But in between there, there is a whole story we're going to go into. So let's talk about the first phase, if you will, phase one of the career before your business. I was working as a designer in children's book publishing. I really was on the computer like all day and was very much interested in getting involved in my hands. And it was sort of at the very beginning of the handmade craft movement in the mid-2000s. So I took a letterpress course at a local college that was actually a whole semester. It was a continuing ed class, and it also involved some book arts. 
immediately after the first class, I knew that that was what I needed to do. And it struck up a passion that I for something that I didn't even know I was going to have. So it was completely unexpected. And I got really, really excited. And at that time, I had recently started a new position at a different publisher. And I wasn't totally happy with the position. So I just decided that I was going to save up as much money as I could and leave that job and pursue an internship or working at a letterpress studio while also doing some freelance graphic design work. So at that point, you have taken the class, you've got the bug, if you will, for stationary. Yeah. And you are looking to get this internship. Is that when you decided you wanted to leave your job altogether? Pretty soon into that position, I knew that it wasn't going to be for a very long time. And part of what I've left out here is that I also was teaching as an adjunct at Emerson College. I was teaching design classes there. So I had sort of this other income that was a little bit extra on the side coming in. So I basically could save like all of that money in order to leave my position. I did not have a real plan. I had no idea what it meant to freelance at that time. I just knew that if I left my job, I would hopefully find something else to bring in money. And I had a pretty decent buffer in my bank account before I did that too, just in case. And was the stationary the end game for you? What were you hoping your career would look like after you made these little transitions? I really just wanted autonomy. And I wasn't necessarily looking into building a stationary business at that point. I still didn't really know a lot about how letterpress related to the stationary industry. I was just really interested in the printmaking aspect and working with my hands and uh, designing things that I I was printing. And I didn't know exactly yet how that was going to relate So let's talk about that story. What was that phase like for you? So I was actually very lucky when I left my full-time job and I pretty soon after, within a couple months, had found an internship at a local letterpress studio that did focus on letterpress in terms of the stationery industry, like working on invitations. And they had a, a retail line that they also sold wholesale. So I got to really see a lot of the behind the scenes there. And at the same time, I lucked out and also got a freelance graphic design position at a design studio that was also part time. So I was sort of balancing both of those at the same time. Uh, and trying to figure out really where I was going to go with things next. So it was a little bit of a transition period and a learning period for me. And then where do we go from there? So you're kind of juggling these two letterpress directed jobs right there. You're kind of doing a little bit of both. What happens next? I am invited to participate in an event to sell some work for the holidays that was in the studio that I was working at. And I had never really thought about selling anything of mine uh, in terms of a product before. This was you know, right at the beginning stages when Etsy was first starting to emerge as like a player in the handmade market. And some people were doing that, but it was still not too common. And took this opportunity to just sell some random things that I had printed during that letterpress class that I had taken. I made some handmade books and few note cards and things like that. And I was really surprised that I basically sold out of all of that stuff at that event. Like it kind of lit a little bit of a flame for me. It kind of got the bug going like, oh, I could, I could do this. I could like open an Etsy shop and sell stuff. This is really cool. I, I, I might be interested in doing this. Really? So you had already had the internships and you'd already kind of gone in the letterpress direction and quit the job yeah. <laughs> ahead of time before you had the business idea. Uh, I think back then, probably a really natural way for it. But nowadays, 
looking at that, it's kind of unusual. Most people think I need to have the business and then they quit the job. I know. So my original sort of entrance into all of this was very organic and not planned. It was very almost whimsical in some way, like everything fell into place. I think it all worked out really well because everything kind of happened gradually. I started my letterpress business as a very, very part-time side project in 2008. When I say side project, I mean I had five other things going on at the same time. I was you know, working at a, a design studio. I was working at the letterpress studio. I was in grad school, actually, at the time, too. What were you studying in grad school? Graphic design. And because I also teach design courses, there was sort of like a need for me to get a master's degree as well. And I was also still teaching. I was teaching publication and print design. There was a lot going on all at once. And the business wasn't really like the main focus at that time. It was very much a side thing. And how are you feeling at that time emotionally with everything on your plate? Very overwhelmed. It was too much. Like I would not recommend to anyone doing four to five things to bring in income at once. It's not your brain has to split every day between sometimes two different things, three different things. And it was just a lot to manage. Not recommended. So when you're feeling pulled in all these different directions, what did you focus on? And how did you narrow your focus? And what was that on next? So I really did narrow down my focus my last year of grad school. I was in doing grad school part time. So I actually took three years to do my program. And in the last year, I was I just decided, okay, I, I really need to focus on grad school. And then as soon as that's done, I'm going to go full time with my business. And so I just decided I'm going to work just at the letterpress studio and really do very little with my business until I'm done. Uh, I think my Etsy shop basically had like five sales in like that eight month period of time. I didn't worry about it too much. And then I finished grad school and then it was like, boom, everything sort of shifted and changed. I left the letterpress studio. I bought my own personal letterpress equipment. I did not have any of the equipment like a press or paper cutting or anything. I didn't have no, my own space because I had been using everything at the place I'd worked. I also moved further outside of the city, got my studio further outside of the city in the suburbs. And there you go. And then I just sort of started building things from there. So I want to ask, what was driving you to go in that direction at that time? I really wanted to create something of my own. Like I had been seeing, you know, the company I work for selling their own work and sort of the fulfillment that you get from building something that is from scratch, your own, you make the shots. And I just really enjoyed the creative process behind all of that. It was really fun because you weren't necessarily always working for clients. Sometimes you were just creating a product because you you wanted to sell something. It was a lot of fun for me. It's feeling good. There's no warning signs or any like, uh, oh, this isn't the right direction. Everything, all signs pointed to yes. Yeah, because you know, I was doing it so part time that I really didn't know. I honestly did not know what I was getting into at all. Like I had worked for a studio, but I only seen things at the very like skim the surface level. It wasn't diving deep into like what it was to be an entrepreneur. I didn't even know I was about to become an entrepreneur, essentially. No, no idea. Because this was still 2010. And like the entrepreneurial movement was very new at that time. There weren't a lot of people talking about it other than like maybe Seth Godin. So it was still a pretty new thing to me. And there were only like a handful of books out there about running your own business. 
everyone and their mother wasn't out there creating like stationary yet. <laughs> <laughs> Not yet. Okay, so you have all this stuff, you got all your equipment, what happens next? So I work really, really hard. I put my head down and I just start to hustle. And I do that for about four years. And I build up an incredible amount of knowledge. I do a lot of learning um, in online courses, books, you know, researching things on the web. I get really into entrepreneurship. I do a gazillion and one craft fairs. I beef up my Etsy shop. I really try and grow everything. And then ultimately, I end up doing the National Stationery Show in New York City two years in a row, which is a huge investment in both money and time. And it wasn't as successful as I had hoped either year. And that really sort of was the beginning stages of me wondering if this was really where I wanted to go with things. Yeah. So you get there because you're thinking this is the natural next step to take in stationary. This is where you go next. And so you just kind of follow that path. And as my own accessory business background, I can attest to, especially if you're selling to stores, that is where you go to sell to stores. That's a natural next step if that's the direction you're looking for more than just selling online directly to customers. At that point in your business, how many years in is the stationary show? Two? Well, that was two years into me doing it full time, but I had been doing it, you know, very part time for maybe three years before that. So it was really like five years in, but it was such a slow moving process that when I jumped into doing the stationary show, I didn't have a wholesale line. I hadn't wholesaled ever before. Do not recommend that at all to anyone who is looking to do a giant trade show like that is, you know, you should test the waters for a little while first, because that really was difficult getting people interested in the first place because I was so new. And there was no real buzz about, you know, me before I got there or anything. It was just like, I just kind of showed up and was like, here I am, buy my stuff. It's definitely not a very good strategy. Yeah. So for anyone listening that might want to take action on that, basically what you're saying is go get into stores first, get that feedback directly from the owners of those stores or the buyers, and then go to the stationery show after you've had a little bit of that success under your belt. Yeah, definitely do some market testing and build up some relationships with some shops who can give you direct feedback if they are buying your work, like what is selling, what isn't. It's something that I wish I had known before because I probably would have shown up with a very different line that first year that I did the show. What did it feel like for you after the stationary shows and they're not going as well as you expected them to? What's the business feeling like then? It was just feeling like an emotional roller coaster. The highs were very high and the lows were very low. And it was kind of like being in a, a very difficult and strained relationship. <laughs> like a bad relationship. Yeah, it was. And I mean, I describe to many people that like your business feels like you're in a relationship with someone. And if it feels like it's not working out and you see all these red flags, maybe it's time to step away. It was just that I didn't see the red flags or I didn't want to see the red flags because I had spent so much time and energy working on this business that, you know, I just kept my head down and just was like, well, if I just do this, if I just do this, maybe, you know, I'll, I'll get some more money coming in. If I do this, maybe I'll get some more money coming in. And 
it was like all these like little quick fixes and what a lot of people describe as the scarcity mentality. You just keep on trying to do little things really quick and it just creates more and more work and more and more. I should do this. I should do that. I should do this. And you just start to get like your brain feels like it's going to explode. Four years in, is that when the brain's going to explode part started to set in? Yeah, maybe even after I did the stationary show the first time, I was like, well, I'll just give it another year. And, you know, I think I can work really hard and turn this around and make things happen. And I worked with a business coach who was wonderful and great. It just was what I really needed ultimately was someone to really look at my product and not tell me, well, you should do this or you should do that and you should do that. What I should have done is looked at my product and how it fit into the market and how well it would sell within the market, which if you look at my stuff, which is still online today, I mean, it is not on trend, so to speak. And stationary, like any other design field, is very trend specific, just like fashion is or jewelry. So if you don't really fit into that, which I know now, but didn't really see then, it's just going to be very difficult for you to find a large enough market to make the business sustainable. You're selling one card for wholesale 250. You're not bringing in a ton of money, even if you get like one order, wholesale order, you know, usually that's like $100. So that's not going to pay the rent. Okay, so how did you eventually realize the business wasn't meant to be full time? I was offered a freelance position in house at the place I'm actually currently working at now. And I initially said no, because it was in October. And I knew it was the beginning of the busy season for my business for the holidays. Something inside me when I said no was like, you should not have said no. This is this is an opportunity, you should take it. No voice actually said, you've been waiting for this moment. But looking back on it now, it was like I'd been waiting for that moment. What does that mean you had been waiting for that moment? It doesn't seem like you were, but how were you actually really waiting for the moment all along? It was unconsciously, I think, waiting for that moment. It's like my intuition knew that this wasn't working out for a very long time, but my ego didn't want to admit it at all. So when I had this opportunity, I finally changed my mind and said yes. And that really changed a lot for me. And what gave you the courage to say yes? I don't know. I think I just listened to my intuition for once. I think the real motivator, though, not necessarily being ballsy, but, you know, I I needed to have more income coming in. It just wasn't I had built up a lot of debt and I just needed to do something about it, basically. So that was the real motivator, I guess. Okay, so it didn't feel scary to say yes by that point. It felt like the natural next step. It felt scary to say no in some respects because I had a lot of bills that needed to get paid in a very short amount of time. Yeah. So it seems like your ego had done a pretty good job rationalizing why you needed to keep going, which is actually kind of interesting because often the ego likes to rationalize why we need to stay in the comfort zone. And I guess this is ultimately true, though. You were comfortable at that point with your business more than you were in going into something new and unknown, which in that case was actually going to freelancing or working with this company, correct? Yeah. And you know, I think it's also a lot like you get used to something so much, like your head is just down in it. And you don't even realize like what else there is out there. You know, you just think this is just the way it is. It's sort of like if you have had some health issues for a long time, and you just feel like, you know, oh, I have a bad stomach. And you know, it's just that's the way it is. And it might be like you aren't eating the right foods for your body or something like that. It's kind of a similar thing where like you're sort of 
you know, just used to, well, this is the way it is. I work really hard and I get okay money and I, I'm constantly fighting upstream battles with my own business. What year was the year that you left your business? Um, that was actually just in 2014. So entrepreneurship has then by then become much more mainstream. Oh, yeah. So was there any ego attachment to being a business owner versus having a full time job? When you do something like run your own business, and it's just you for such a long time, your identity just becomes a part of that business. Even today, my online presence is still associated with the business because I'm still doing it slightly on the side. And you feel like your business is just who you are. Like I am press bound, but I'm really not. I'm a person. I'm Melissa. <laughs> when you're a solo entrepreneur, it's very difficult to see outside of where the business side of you ends and where the real side of you ends. And I think that can be a little bit scary and dangerous. By stepping away from doing my business full time, I've been able to sort of reestablish those boundaries a lot. And it's been wonderful, actually. I didn't realize how trapped I felt sort of in my business until I got a chance to step away from it for a while and get some perspective. So when you left it as a full time thing, did you feel like you were losing a part of your identity at that point? I did to a certain extent. I think it was a little bit hard for me to go back to this studio and be like, this is what I used to do, but this feels like a whole different person now, a whole different lifetime. But because I'm still doing it on the side, I'm now sort of realizing that it's just one small part of the whole because there's so many other things that even creatively that I'm interested in and that make up who I am. I'm not just a letterpress stationary designer. I'm a lot of things. <laughs> I love that. And it's fascinating. You said I am press. Was it press bound? Yeah. So I am press bound. It's even harder. I think when you're literally like JessLively.com, it's like Jess Lively is Jess Lively, but when is Jess Lively not Jess Lively? You know, it is so true that it doesn't really matter about the name versus not, but it's tricky. There's something to be said with that because I am sort of wrestling right now. Like I want to change, and this is so silly. I want to change my Twitter name to being Melissa Gronkowski instead of Pressbound. And I'm like struggling. I can't seem to do it because I've for so long been identified as something online. But, and it's just a name, but for me, it's an identity. So I need to shed that to move on to the next phase of my life. And I'm having a little bit of struggle with doing that. And it's very interesting I can imagine. It's got to be interesting. And it's even, I think, even more insidious for anyone with the name being the business, their own name. Because <laughs> then it's like you can't even get away. <laughs> you just have to personally find that boundary for where is it just lively creative and where is it just lively. I think over the years, I've worked on that in different ways. Um, for me, with Just LC, my old accessory business, it was very clear to see the lines because it wasn't my ultimate goal to do that like you were very identified with the passion you had for your stationery and I love designing stuff but really but it was a way to pay the bill so I could help people in the ways I do now so anyways it's interesting to reflect on my own experience with this identity the identity I have as a person the identity I have as a brand like you're saying for anyone else out there that may be having their own business and maybe having this squashing the intuition telling them this isn't what they need to be doing in this phase of their lives, they might have to look at that same identity shedding that you're talking about in order to make that step. Did it feel scary to go back? It did a little bit. You know, I, I think it was, there was a lot of doubt whether or not I was doing the right thing. 
There was uh, a period of time, though, where I was still working in an office part-time and doing my business part-time. So there was like this nice little transition that kind of helped with that. It was definitely a little bit scary. Yeah. Are you happier now than you were when you were an entrepreneur? A hundred percent happier. I can't even tell you the weight that was lifted from my shoulders when I realized I did not have the responsibility of making a living from my own work, which is just really where I am at this season in my life. You know, like, I don't know if that's going to be how I feel forever, but because things just weren't really going in the direction that I had hoped, I hadn't ended up in the place that I wanted to be in and it was not sustainable. That struggle that I felt over and over and over again, it was just like such a relief to know that I didn't have to have that roller coaster ride every single day. And I mean, it was like every day. No one tells you how emotional running a business is. It's very emotional, especially when you're selling your own personal product. It can be very difficult if it's not catching on, if, if it's not selling as well as you thought. There's a lot of personal emotion involved in that. Yeah, because you're looking for, if you feel like you are press bound and people aren't buying or liking press bound as much as you want or need them to, to support yourself, then it's like they're not liking you as much as you want or need them to support yourself. Yeah, I feel like all makers must have that same feeling like deep down inside somewhere, right? Because it's so personal. It's very different than working for someone else's business who might even be like a handmade maker. Like when I was working for a different letterpress studio, I didn't have that emotional investment because it wasn't something that came directly out of me. I was just helping put it out into the world. It's very interesting. And I I really just always go back to that feeling like if you're in a relationship with with a, a person, it's very fluid and up and down just like that. For myself, I have worked through this. And that's why I'm writing a book about it is worth and work and the suffering that can come along with it. And finding that separation between what people think of the show or me is separate from me. And it's a reflection more of themselves and where they are in their lives, what they think and feel than it is of actually me, right? Like how they see it is a reflection of where they are, not a reflection of me and where I am. And that's been a helpful tool, but I still have to keep going back to that so that my ego is not seeking the validation from the fact that they may or may not like it. Right. Yeah, that's a really great point. So if you can go back to your younger self before the business, right as you're ending your master's degree, what would you tell yourself? I would tell myself to continue working probably at that letterpress studio while building up a much stronger base for my business. I didn't really have a very strong foundation going into it. And I think you, really, I really should have not necessarily all this knowledge, like you don't really have to know 100% about like what you're doing. That's not what I'm talking about. I just mean like a strong customer foundation, people that are guaranteed going to buy your work, maybe some retail stores that will always buy your work, and then go from there. I don't think I had a plan at all going into it. And that was also a major problem. <laughs> Interesting. So I was wondering if entrepreneurship, at least, and like you pointed out, I am a huge advocate. I've written posts about this years ago about entrepreneurship. Someone asked me once, do I think entrepreneurship is a fad? And I've started this since I was... (laughs) 
1999, <laughs> been doing my own thing. And I graduated 07 and did my own thing before the recession. So I only knew a six-year-old woman that also had her own business at that point. So now it's a completely different world. But back then I was always kind of on the fringe or like the weird one <laughs> when I graduated that decided to do my own thing and make very little money versus all the cushy paychecks my peers and business school got. And I think that entrepreneurship is a fad isn't the case. I think that people perceive many work situations as terrible and sucky, soul sucking, et cetera. And so the cultures aren't aligned with what people would like their work environment and mission and output to be. So they think that autonomy and, and it, entrepreneurship is the answer to that. But what I believe or hope for the future is that it's not an all or nothing. You have to be an entrepreneur or you have to hate your job. And it's not that everyone hates their job, obviously, but there is this kind of perception that it's better if you have your own business, quote unquote, from some people. Some people believe that. And I hope that it becomes an option that people have and access at different parts of their lives if it makes sense. But I also hope that people stay in the corporate world or in the non-corporate world and change those companies that are able to provide this amazing infrastructure for these much more massive uh, input or outputs on the world, right? The bigger companies are able to do massive things that small business owners cannot necessarily do. For example, the trash needs to get picked up. But I do hope that people take it upon themselves. I think Gen Y is really passionate about this in particular to change the work culture. So there's not this huge disconnect between how you live as an entrepreneur um, and how you live if you have a job. And there will always be major differences. There's no way around some of them. But I just hope that it becomes less of a, a divided line between the two. There is a lot of talk about how the grass is really a lot greener on the entrepreneurship side and the, um, you know, the maker side. Now that I've straddled both worlds, probably equally as much in my professional life, I would say that there are ups and downs to both and that they are really very equal unless you have like the worst job situation ever. Like, you know, I'm not going to say that everyone has, you know, is in a job that they feel like is even in their like realm of interest. So that's it, not true for everyone. But for me, and in my experience, like there are equal amounts of goods and bads on both sides. So the grass is the same color for me. <laughs> really, there is no grass is, is greener. There is on the entrepreneurship side, some level of autonomy. There is not as much autonomy in entrepreneurship or owning your own business as you may think. When I first started, um, you know, really as a freelancer and not running the letterpress business that I did after I did grad school, like when I was just a freelancer, people just assumed that like they could hang out with me whenever because, oh, you can set your own schedule. You can go to lunch with me. You can hang out all morning, you know, not really. You have to have some structure to your day to get anything done and you're not completely free. Yes, you can can make a schedule that fits your needs a lot better than what I have now. I mean, I have to be in an office from nine to five. I have an hour and a half commute to get here. And I really have no say in that matter. But you did choose where you worked. So you could choose a closer location if you wanted. Exactly. I could have chosen a closer location to a certain extent. I live out in the suburbs. So there isn't a lot of options out there that are good. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm choosing to be here. I'm choosing to not move closer to my work. So, I mean, I had more autonomy in my business, but not really because I had to be there. I had to be doing work. You have to pay the bills every four weeks. People used to tell me, 
I would never be able to do that. And this is again, before the recession. So people were like, you're just going to work from home. They would always say, I would never take my pajamas off. I would never get any work done. I just watch TV because I'm at home. And that's what I would do. And I was like, you have bills every four weeks. You are hustling your butt so that you can pay those bills. I felt like I was a hunter. And if I didn't get up and work that day, the bills weren't going to get paid. It was a very different experience than what they had perceived it to be. And I think that goes to your point of like the autonomy is there to an extent, but when you're getting your business started, especially once you have maybe the systems or the relationships that are providing those incomes in place, it gets easier. But that start is not necessarily easy by any means. No, there is a huge, huge hustle on the other side. And you hear everyone really say this, that I've never worked harder than I ever have before, but I am, I'm so rewarded from all the hard work that I do. And I think that's another thing that I questioned a lot in the last few months after I did the stationary show in 2014 was, was that hustle really worth it anymore? I had been doing it for so long. I knew the changes that needed to happen in my business to make it sustainable, but I was no longer really feeling like it fit in with my values. I didn't really want to give up all that I had given up for the last four years to make those things happen. What did you give up? Well, I really, I gave up much of a social life, uh, got a reputation even with my own family that I'm always too busy for them, uh, gave up really paying any attention to my well-being, and um, I was not mindful of like my surroundings or what was going on. One thing that was great during that time is that I had a very supportive boyfriend who was also an artist. So I did not give up like a relationship in that that respect. But we, we did give up a lot of time with each other because we were both busy doing our own thing. You know, there, it's just sort of stuff in terms of like personal relationships. I gave up having a personal life. I gave up ha- having any other creative pursuits. I was just letterpress all the time. And that's it. And there's not to mention health insurance or 401ks that are matching or any of that stuff that typically comes with many jobs as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I I didn't really have any benefits. However, uh, because I actually I did have like this part time teaching thing going on on the side that did help out with the health insurance, I could get insurance through them. So that wasn't too big of a deal. But I still, even though I work a real job, don't have like a retirement plan. That probably should be something I consider. But anyway. I know. I remember for myself, this is when I was starting and I was in my early 20s, but I knew what it cost to get a cavity because I had health insurance and I paid for it myself. Thank God I was a healthy young person. If I had had health issues that were serious, um, going into that and the health insurance wasn't as affordable, that would have been a whole different ball game. Or if I had crippling student loans, I had student loans, but they weren't bad enough that I couldn't keep paying them while I ran my own business. But I had a Sonicare and I brushed my teeth three times a day <laughs> and I didn't go to the dentist for three years. Now I am not telling or advocating others to do that. However, the reality was I did the Sonicare three times a day and I was very on top of my teeth because I knew it was $300 to get the cavities filled if you had any. And I finally did eventually go to the dentist. They were shocked that I didn't have any dental issues, but because I worked from home, I guess the upside was I could easily <laughs> get those teeth brushed all the time. But anyways, yeah, there's many things like that that aren't seen. You see the pretty Instagram pictures and you're not seeing the the worry. I remember right before I got married to uh, Mr. Lively and I 
became a part of his health insurance, which was really comprehensive and really great. I was worried I was going to get hit by a car because I was like, oh my God, if I break a leg now or if I get like severely injured right before this health insurance switches over, the out-of-pocket costs are going to be much higher than they will when I have what you know, many people get, or if they're married, you know, we get from health insurance. The one upside to all of that, that I'll have to say that actually was the deciding factor, believe it or not, for me to go freelance initially way back when I left my first publishing job, or not my first publishing job, but my publishing job at the time, was that I live in Massachusetts, and they had just passed the health insurance mandate here where everyone had to have health insurance, which later on, you know, is now a nationwide thing. Because I was going to have access to health insurance without having a job, I was like, well, I'm going to go freelance then because I don't even have to worry about that aspect of things. I can get it through the state and I didn't have to pay an arm and a leg for it. So it's kind of interesting how that can be a a strange deciding factor for some people. So you were working at the job before. You didn't like it. Now you work at a job and you love it and you feel like you appreciate it in a whole new way, having gone through the entrepreneurialism. How do you deal with the things that you used to not like knowing what you know now? Well, I think I have a lot more understanding of the what I'm able to do outside of work now and much more of appreciation of the free time that I have outside of my job so that, you know, even though I have this pretty long commute that can on a daily routine start to to be a big pain in the butt. I mean, I live in Boston I decided to go back to a full-time job in the year that we had a hundred inches of snow in like three days and all like transportation basically stopped here and I had three hour commutes each way. I used that time as best as I could outside of work during my commutes to do things like read or write or draw or do things that are productive, things that I would never have found myself having time to do when I was in my business. So I always am constantly reminding myself that, well, you have the ability to do these things that you didn't have a chance to do. I'm exploring now things that I didn't give myself the opportunity to do when I was in my business. Did you ever read The E-Myth Revisited? I didn't end up reading that. No, not yet, but I want to. I think you will find it fascinating (laughs) to hear the story. It's a very simple tale. It's very powerful at the same time. The book describes these three personality types that need to be present in a business for it to run successfully. Now, when you're a solo entrepreneur, you have to have all three of these in somewhat equal proportion in order for the success of the business. If you don't, business will suffer one way or another, depending on your strengths versus your weaknesses in these three areas. There's the technician, which is the person that loves letterpress and loves creating the designs and loves the actual art that you are creating, the maker. And you've mentioned that a lot. So I'm guessing based on what you've shared that you definitely identify as a really strong strength of like loving the craft. So that's technician. So that's the person getting the work done. If you're in the landscape company, it's the landscapers. <laughs> so that's one part of the triangle. The other part is the managers. The managers are the ones or the part of the business. So it would be part of you in this case that has to manage the projects that are currently in your queue. The orders that are in, you have to get them done, managing the systems in place so the technician side of it can execute well, but also make sure that things are meeting their deadlines and things are running smoothly. So that's another part of the business. So it's either part of you or part of the teams that you have in your business. The third part is the entrepreneur. 
The entrepreneur is responsible for new business and going into new markets. So that part of the business is responsible for getting more orders and getting more relationships that could lead to more orders or going into a new area. So maybe you do letterpress now, but it's the decision to go make prints or do t-shirts. So that side of the business. Now, people are very rarely a perfect triangle of all three. So they might have more entrepreneurialism, they'll have tons of ideas, but they're really bad at execution, or they're not really good at managing the orders and getting them out on time, functioning in the business. So he describes in the book these three things, and then he describes the story of a baker, which in your case would be a stationary designer. And the baker in this case said they worked at a bakery, baking the pies all day long, and they didn't like how the entrepreneur owner or the managers dealt with the business. And they're like, you know what? I want the autonomy to do this the way I know it should be done. So they end up revolting. The technicians are quickly the ones that end up revolting and saying, you know what? I want to do this my way. I don't want the oversight. I know what I'm doing. I'm passionate about this. I don't need you. <laughs> I want to go do this myself. And so they go off and they start their own bakery. And then the kind of the story starts with this baker who had done that. And she's miserable because running your own bakery is the opposite of being a baker in that what she describes is, I don't have time to bake anymore. I'm running a business and it is a totally different experience than being a baker that actually bakes the pies. Now, when you're a one woman show, of course you're doing all of it. You're still making the jewelry in my case or letterpress for you, but the other parts of the business are very important for anything else to get done or to make actual more money. So they describe this as like the big problem with entrepreneurism for a lot of people is that they end up realizing the actual facts of running a business are very different than they are of doing whatever the skill is that they love to do. Did you find that as like your story? That is 100% exactly what I went through because I never really, in the, like as, as you kind of heard from my background, I never really planned to end up where I did. It just sort of all happened organically. Like ultimately I got there because I really just loved the craft of letterpress. But ultimately what I really loved is creating. I just... I love creating and I loved the medium at the time that I was creating in and I was passionate about it. I really didn't know what was going to go into running it as a business. And when I got there, I realized that at least that kind of business that I was running is not in line with my values at all. Running a product-based business just does not feed into the things that I value the most. So it just didn't work. And it doesn't mean it's not going to work for someone else. But it just was no longer in line with really what I wanted out of my life. I wanted to experience all the avenues of my life, and not just the business creative, a business career oriented one, you know, it's just so difficult to run a business when you are not really all that into the managerial side of it. It's very hard. Is that the one that we're kind of weaker in, in the triangle? Yeah. I mean, it's not that I'm bad at managing. So here's a really interesting thing. I'm not bad at managing. I just don't like it. Yes. And so it's not like you can't do it. It's just not your strength. Right. Well, and it's just not something I'm really excited by. Yeah. I mean, in my job now, I have to manage projects and I do a fine job at it, but it's my least favorite part of the job. You know, it's like, I like the creative part. That's one of my major values is being creative. And I love entrepreneurship. So I would say that I was pretty good at like the idea of entrepreneurship. I love it. But 
there is the opposite. It's the execution of it. I am a little bit of an introvert. So I kind of have a hard time sometimes reaching out and getting that new business that I needed to get because there was all kinds of like anxiety, like cold calling or like even selling your work at the stationery show and like trying to get people to buy in. It was very difficult, even though I kind of understood it and was fascinated by it and liked it. In theory, the execution part was the part I really struggled with. So so you struggle with the managerial and entrepreneurial execution of the business, but you were a technician all day long. And now you love what you're doing because you get to really focus on your strength. Yeah. So though there is a small amount of managing, I really get to every day be creative and do work on something that I'm going to produce, whether it's at my job or I'm, you know, doing something at home and exploring some hand letterings that I wouldn't have had time to do before or sketching or been playing around with doing paper flowers. That's the thing that I really wanted to spend more time doing. And in my business, I would say it was like maybe less than 20% of what I did, like maybe like 10% of what I did because I, although I was printing quite a bit, that isn't necessarily creative. Once you've got a design, it, it, that's almost managing. You're managing the production of something and you're standing there and you're printing on a press and you're doing the same repetitive action over and over again and occasionally troubleshooting something and that's about it. I actually was lucky with my own experience because I, even though I started the jewelry business when I was 15 and I did it for all those years and then started it full time, my strength was never in the technician side. I was never actually the most talented at making the jewelry, even though I made it longer than any of the girls I ever had working for me. My assistants that made jewelry for me after I quickly hired that out because I knew that was not my strength. I was not the technician. I enjoyed making those new business connections and getting that new business in. That was my strength. So that I could supplement with a technician. Now, obviously, the whole point of this book will help you is to supplement when the areas where you're weaker <laughs> so you can do that. But when you're getting started, often you don't have the funds to hire out those parts. You have to get started at some level on your own enough to get going so you can support someone else in the business with you. But yeah, that's the interesting thing that you have to find as a way to kind of create an equilateral triangle as much as possible so that the business can survive and thrive. And that is also true for larger companies. So you maybe those that are listening could even apply this to their own company and see the strengths and weaknesses in departments in their own company and see why things are doing well or maybe are hindered by certain departments not executing at the same level as others. I find that very fascinating, the, the triangle, because I probably didn't really think about that until you just pointed it out in quite that way. Yeah. So for anyone else that's interested, go check out that book. It's really helpful for that. But really, I think the message of this episode, I'm hoping, is there's enough people out there talking about how they are so thrilled that they quit their job. <laughs> they made, they took the leap, if you will. And what I love about this is that it's showing that that is not a universal situation. That is not, even if that may be trendy right now, what is right for everyone. And that ultimately, it doesn't have to be an all or nothing. You're never a business owner or you're always a business owner. It's an option. It's not an obligation. Um, but I'm wondering for you, do you think there are other people out there that might still be where you were in your stationary business? Sure. I really feel like there are a lot of people out there that might be struggling in their business and questioning every day, just like I was, whether or not they should keep on going with this. And I really feel there's almost like this level of shame that like I can't quit, so to speak, but I don't really see what I did as quitting. 
uh, because I'm still doing letterpress. I'm still a letterpress printer. I'm just not doing it full time. You can have a, a company making bags and sewing and not do it as your full time thing anymore, but still do it on the side, still have an Etsy shop, still occasionally do it for the pleasure of doing it because you just love doing it and not have to make a ton of money doing it. I mean, you can just bring in a little bit of extra income. You don't have to like crazy market and, and grow some big, you know, huge company that's going to take over the world with your stationery or bags or jewelry. You can just do it because you love to do it. And I think the whole quit your day job mentality is a little bit overblown. You don't have to. There is sort of like a nice little happy medium. Is it a lot of work? Yeah. But hopefully you're going to be enjoying that work. I would say that you're right. You did not quit because here's what happened. You are still making things in your job. You're just not the person trying to do the other things by yourself exclusively. You are still making. You're just doing it in a way that brings you more joy and fulfillment. Exactly. And I really hope that folks who are out there listening who have really struggled with this don't feel like they're a failure because they decide maybe to walk away from their business full time or even altogether. You can be in love with something for a period of time and then sort of start to fall out in love with it, whether it's because you burned out or whether it's because you've discovered something else that's new and that excites you. We all go through these phases in our lives where we like something and we're really into it and we maybe even identify, like make our um, you know, self-worth and identity related to it and connected to it, but it doesn't mean that's what it has to be forever. If you do find something like that, for instance, my fiance is a comic book illustrator and he's wanted to draw comics since he was 10 and that's his whole identity and that's what he loves to do. And I'm so envious of that, but I'm the kind of person who was in love with letterpress for like five years, but then suddenly discovers something else over here on the side. Like I'm writing a little bit more now and I'm really enjoying that. And I'm realizing maybe this is what I should be doing more of and I should be doing less of this other thing. And so maybe, you know, I'm going to start, you know, shifting away from doing letterpress stuff. It doesn't mean I quit. It means that my interests have changed and I'm starting something new. I'm starting a new season of my life. And you're evolving with your interests and your values as they shift. And I'll also say for anyone in their businesses also, so this, I love your message, which is like business is not the only way and it's not necessarily the way that will bring you joy. And I'll also say, let's say you are still going to be in business, all right? And this is not going to tell you to quit your job. Your intuition is telling you to stay. At the same time, I can speak to them. I love interior design. Since I was in third grade, I was designing my room and rearranging it with my mom's interior design stencils I found in the basement from her college days. <laughs> Since then, I have been obsessed with it. And I ended up doing a hotel project in designing a hotel lobby and I did the creative directing for it and I kicked butt at it. I did a great job. I really am proud of that project. And I'm so grateful that I got to do it on a professional scale after being obsessed with my homes and having home tours all the time over the years as well. But when I did it, I also got to learn from that experience and say, this was amazing. I'm so grateful I had it. But I also realized I love this so much and it is my truest like hobby, interest, passion thing. I have a natural joy for it. But I will say when I did it, I realized I don't want to do this for someone else. I don't want to do this for a paycheck. This is my thing. This is 
for me. I want to spend this passion on my own family's home and I'm going to pour my energy and love into it all day long, which is why I'm obsessed with it. You can see it on Instagram, but it's not my day job and I don't want it to be. And I love what I do for my day job and it's different than what that passion is. And because it's separated, I can love it without having to deal with the downsides that come with being a designer. So for anyone else out there, you don't have to do the thing you love as a paycheck. That does not mean it's still not something you're talented at or could have done. It's a choice that you're making so that you get the most joy out of it possible. Well, and I'd also like to add to that, that you could also down the road take on a project doing that just because you really are interested in doing that for this one particular project, but it doesn't mean you have to make a full-time living off of doing that forever. You know, maybe I'm not going to do letterpress full-time anymore, but if a project comes my way from a really interesting client or person who's looking for a certain type of project that I'm really going to get behind, I'll do it. I want to do that. You know, like I think you should be open to that but not feel like you have to now create a business out of it because you did it once or twice or three times. It may not be right for you. And it may create, you know, this grass is greener mentality for you when it's not really necessary. You could just do it on the side and still bring in a little extra income for yourself. Absolutely. And that's the way I did it the last time. And it could happen again that way. But at the same time right now, I have no pressure on it to actually do that. And it's amazing to have this thing I can selfishly do for myself because everything else that I do at the end of the day, that's like values-based intentions or podcast style. I love this stuff. I eat it up. But on the weekends, I need to break from it because it's what I do for my living. That's when I get to go dabble in interior design. I get to pour my energy and heart into this other thing that's separated. And for me, I really love that, at least in this season of my life. And I can also, one other angle to this for anyone out there who has a business thing that's related to the business that they're doing and they want to keep doing it and it's not working out. Ask your intuition if whatever you're focusing on is what you need to keep doing or what you should do next. Because I did these workshops, I've mentioned them many times on the show before, but that avenue of my business and that aspect of my business was not what I needed to keep doing. And so it was not growing and succeeding. And I could have kept throwing money at it and could have kept investing in that direction had I felt that it should be, but I'm so grateful. I finally just asked my intuition what to do so that I could get that clarity because that was not the direction my business was meant to grow into. And I could have kind of found myself almost in a similar place that you did where it was just like not going. It was just like not moving forward the way you wanted it to. I'm so grateful that I asked and adjusted accordingly because otherwise I could have been in a similar place and thought, this isn't right, but really I just wasn't doing the right thing. Yeah. And you know, I, I still think every once in a while, like, will I go back to doing this as a full-time thing down the road when I figure out exactly what the right style of letterpress business I want to have? Like you don't, because you do letterpress have to sell a line of stationary products in a wholesale retail market. You could just do custom bespoke letterpress. You could do commercial work. You could do something other than letterpress as a business. You could do something completely different. Like, and I think about that too, because I have a background in graphic design as a freelancer. Maybe I want to go back to doing that someday. So, you know, I, I just feel like I'm working a full-time job now. Maybe that's not what I do forever. You never know. 
No, but it doesn't mean that while you're doing that, you're any less of who you were before. I'm still the same person. Yes. It sounds like you're a fuller version of who you were. I'm way fuller version because when I was focusing on my business, it was all business all the time. And I didn't have a chance to really even remember who I was really at all. It was very difficult. Yeah, I know. That's easy to see the people like Gary Vaynerchuk who literally have a passion for business and that is what they love to do and they would be doing it obsessively as much as I'm obsessively decorating my apartment <laughs> or my house. So, you know, it's hard to see that and to think like, oh, I should do that too in order to be whatever. And to instead see it as like, this person is particularly driven this way. That is like not the same suffering that you felt, right? He's not suffering the way you used to suffer in your business because he's doing it for different, he has different interests, values, and talents. And so it's hard sometimes for us to kind of check what other people are doing and remember that they might be doing it and not suffering the way I am right now. And it's not because they're better or not. It's just like they have a different set of strengths and a set of interests and they're willing to have the grass that's green and brown in certain ways on their side of the fence. And and also, um, you know, the folks who are like that might tell you that if you want to sort of have what they have, these are the things that you should do to sort of obtain those things. And that just creates a whole like list of I should do this, I should do that, I should do this. And those things worked for one person and you it's super helpful, but it might not always work for you. So experiment with that, but don't feel like you have to do that just because it worked for one other person or you have to do this because it worked for another person. I think what I've learned is there's no set of rules that applies to everyone, in, especially in entrepreneurship. Well said. Okay. So what doubts or internal resistance are you facing in your life now after all of that stuff has passed? There's a lot of resistance in terms of like where to go next. I'm in a, this sort of state of exploration and I, I'm, I'm not really, I guess I'm, I'm feeling overwhelmed with the possibilities. So that's sort of where I'm at with things right now where I want to try too many things. And so <laughs> there's a little bit of a lack of focus. I'm sort of, and also a little bit in a standstill because I'm planning a wedding, which is in two months. So there's really nothing else to focus on but outside of my, my work except for that. So Well, it's probably a blessing then that you're not sitting here hankering to focus on one big thing that's not the wedding. Exactly, exactly. I mean, I, I do have some ideas of things that I, I want to do, but um, there's a lot of doubt, like, is that the right one? Is that the right one? Is that the right one? You know, like, and I should just explore and like, just let it happen fluidly. Or right to your intuition. Exactly, exactly. Okay, so what would you tell someone who's just starting out on this journey? And I'm going to kind of clarify that for the first time ever. <laughs> I'm going to say, what would you tell someone who's feeling underwater in their business? I would say to try and get your head above water. Don't get so lost in your business that you can't see what's going on around you. It's really hard to do without stepping away. And I think if you are feeling like you're really struggling, you're, you're questioning a lot of things, you're feeling a lot like I did, the best thing that you can do is just walk away for like a week and see how you feel when you get back and see what you've observed. 
see um, if you feel differently, if you felt kind of like this relief, or if you just can't wait to get back into things again. I think that will say a lot. I think I was lucky right before I got offered this freelance position that led to my full-time job. Now, I, I went away for two weeks in Iceland. I was away from the internet. I was in the middle of nowhere, and there was barely a grocery store within three hours drive. And so it really helped me when I got back to realize that I, I kind of dreaded going back to the studio. I didn't want to be there. I didn't want to be doing it anymore. And that was a really a number one sign. Like I think it, it might be it. And my head is out of the water now. I can see clearly and this is not the right direction to go in anymore. Melissa, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing this story with us. I think it's a really important one to share. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And there you have it. Thank you so much for listening. And Melissa, thank you for coming on the show. To send Melissa a message, you can do so over on Instagram at Pressbound. And if you want to find me on Instagram, Snapchat, and Twitter, you can do so over at Jess C as in creme brulee lively. And for show notes for today's episode, hop over to JessLively.com slash Melissa Grunkowski. Before I share who's coming up next week on the show, we are going to speak with Jesse Artigue about Squarespace.com. Jesse, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Of course. Wouldn't miss it. Always great to have you here. <laughs> your second time around. Yeah. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about yourself. So my name's Jesse Artigue, and I run a few different online businesses and websites. Style and Pepper is my fashion and lifestyle blog. And then uh, Marriage is Funny is a podcast that I run with my husband, Gerard. And then I have a lifestyle design approach called Pepperology as well. And today we're going to be speaking about Marriage is Funny website, correct? It's exactly right. Yeah. So tell us about why you chose Squarespace for that website. So it's interesting because I have many different websites and have really um, been operating in the online space for the past seven years or so. And so I feel like I have a decent amount of experience with several of the different content management platforms that are available. And I definitely have not a ton of coding or design and development experience as it relates to um, actually creating them. So I always love things that are simple and that I can do myself as much as possible. And does Squarespace allow you to do that? Absolutely. I mean, I think for me, one thing that felt so important when we were launching Marriage is Funny is that with my other sites, uh, specifically my main blog and website that's on WordPress, I really have to have a lot of help when I need to make changes to that site. Either I'm asking my husband to help with that, which is definitely not his favorite thing to do, or I'm hiring someone to, to you know just clean up little things here and there. And of course, that costs money. So when we were choosing what platform to use for Marriage is Funny, it was a no-brainer. I definitely wanted something I could change and fix and update on my own and really specifically wanted something that I could update without having to bug Gerard to help me. <laughs> I totally hear you. I wish that they've had Squarespace around this whole time because it saves so much money, time, and hassle compared to the other sites out there that are so much more complicated. Totally. So what do you love about Squarespace the most? I would say 
the number one thing I love is that autonomy that it allows me just, you know, being able to customize and even just create something from scratch on my own. I know it might sound uh, overwhelming or daunting, but it really, you know, they make the process so easy. And when I do have issues, I'm able to use, you know, either the support function or even just, you know, Googling something and how to figure it out. Most of the time, someone else has had to figure it out themselves before. And so I love that, that it's easy and simple. And And I also love that I don't have to bug my husband about helping me with it because it just seems to allow a little bit more ease and a little less stress within our relationship. And the funny part about that, quite literally, is that since our podcast is about having a healthy and, you know, happy marriage, that seems to point us in the right direction. (laughs) And so I know you guys have a big update for this site going live this week. So what's brewing and how are you taking this new update on? So I'm really excited about this because we have hosted our site on Squarespace for the past a little over a year, I guess. And we just use one of the templates that they have available, which has been amazing, actually. And I think that because we're getting ready to launch our second season, we really wanted to take the look and feel of the site to uh, the next level and sort of take our training wheels off, so to speak. We actually invested in a Squarespace template that we bought from a third party. So purchased it from another designer that creates these templates that you can use for your Squarespace sites. It did cost money above the free options, but we were totally happy to pay that because I know that the maintenance will stay the same. I know that all of our content will stay in the same place and really is not going to take too much extra effort aside from just implementing the things that we need to implement and then kind of tweaking and cleaning things up here and there. That's awesome. And so I'm sure there's a lot of people that have Squarespace sites maybe listening and going, where did you get the template? Do you mind sharing where it's from? Yeah, not at all. We bought ours from Go Live. So the website is golivehq.co. They've got tons of options there. I think there might even be seven or eight or maybe maybe almost 10, um, but they do a wonderful job. The support's great. And as I said, we're launching this week and I'm really excited to see how it all turns out and how it looks when it's live. Awesome. I can't wait to see it too. I'm like yeah. so curious. <laughs> so for anyone else out there looking to give Squarespace a try and get your free 14-day trial, go over to squarespace.com lively. Then if you are interested in going forward after your two-week trial, use the code lively at checkout to get 10% off of your service. So Jesse, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Where can people find you online? Sure. Thank you so much for having me. So we would love to have you guys come and check out the new version of our site. We're at meetthepeppers.com. And that's where our podcast lives. And we would love to have you come take a look. And you can find us on iTunes as Marriage is Funny as well. The podcast amazing. You're amazing, Jesse. <laughs> Thank you for coming yeah. on the show. You're welcome. I'll talk to you soon. And now for a sneak peek. Next week's episode is very special, and I truly hope you tune in. We're going to be speaking with Catherine Woodward Thomas, the author of Calling in the One and Conscious Uncoupling, which is all about how to consciously complete a relationship and live happily even after. Until then, may something wonderful happen to you today. (laughs) 